0: If you had the opportunity in 2021 to chat with whomever we elect as president, what would you say? What advice would you offer? What changes would you suggest? What if God were an advisor to the president? We're continuing the series titled "Chat with the President in 2021," but the subtitle is "Stories and Lessons for Anyone with Any Influence." And we're looking at the story of, we're looking at the stories in the Scriptures of advisors going to political leaders to give them advice, right, or to chat with them. I want to thank Andy Stanley and his church for much of the content in this series we're sort of in this political season where we're really short on information about what the president in 2021 will actually do, but we're definitely not short on opinions about that. So we're doing this series for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, these are important principles to consider as we vote. That obviously this is a very important season in the life of our nation as we choose the leader. And all of our lives will be influenced by whomever we elect. Whether you vote, whether you get involved, or whether you even care or not. Reason number two, these principles apply to anyone with any influence, not just the president. That throughout the scriptures, but particularly the Old Testament, there's full of stories and lessons about leadership and advice given to national leaders, whether they were governors or emperors or pharaohs or kings. And within these stories, there's principles and lessons that are applicable to anyone with any influence, whether you're leading a home, a team, a business, a classroom, or whether you're leading a nation. Now, as you're painfully aware, and I probably don't need to remind you of, This season's been challenging for everyone, and consequently we're all sort of picking up the pieces of our lives and moving forward the best that we can. But many of us are not simply navigating ourselves through this difficult time, we're we're actually responsible for helping other people move forward as well. So we're taking the principles and lessons from these stories that we think that if anyone with any influence will take seriously, they can become better leaders, including our national leader. So in week one of this series, we sort of looked at one of the strange parts around the Babylonian Empire, a strange story, rather, around the Babylonian Empire. And we learned that everyone is accountable for the management of their temporary influence. And then last week, we looked at the story of a governor that was actually worth following. And he's worth following because everyone wants to follow leaders with moral authority, not just positional authority. If you missed any of the messages in this series, you can head to our YouTube channel and check those out. Today, though, I have some good news and some bad news. Our nation has a vast amount of wealth, but there's some problems with that wealth. There's a vast disparity between those with the majority of the wealth and those without. And we all can sort of become accustomed to prosperity. It sort of becomes like an expectation, you might say, that if your problems start with my car, my house, my job, you probably have a wealthy person problem. That when gas prices go up and we complain, and many times rightfully so, it's because we have a car, right? That I don't know how many of you have actually thanked God for your car in the last year. I would probably say not many. That in America, we sort of just have cars. But in other parts of the world, people don't have cars. But when you and I have too much of anything, we have the tendency to become undisciplined and not grateful. And I think part of the reason that we have that tendency to become undisciplined and not grateful is because we have too much resources. We have too much of that stuff. So, a question for discussion. How do you tend to respond when you have an excess of resources? Whether that's discretionary income, free time, food, etc., whatever. Do you notice yourself tending to be more generous or selfish? Do you tend to notice yourself being more disciplined or less disciplined? There's an interesting leader leading during prosperous times that changed rather quickly. This leader was a pharaoh in Egypt. Now, we aren't exactly sure which pharaoh it was in Egypt, but this pharaoh was leading during times of incredible wealth and prosperity, mostly due to exporting lots of grain and abundance of cattle. But something happens, and this leader realizes he needs to start preparing the people for changes heading into the future. But in preparing the the people, he realizes he probably will become an unpopular leader. And his decisions won't really make any sense, and he really can't explain them to the people because they'll just think he's crazy. The other character in this story is someone you might be a little bit more familiar with, Joseph. Now this isn't Joseph and Mary um, from Jesus' parents. This is Joseph hundreds of years before Jesus. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had many sons, one of which was Joseph. Now Joseph's brothers do not like him, and so they actually sell him into slavery. And Joseph ends up in Egypt in the dungeon of Pharaoh. And there he meets several people who worked for Pharaoh. And he asks them that if they get out and they talk to Pharaoh, would they talk to Pharaoh about him? Now one of those people, the cupbearer, actually does get out and is restored to Pharaoh. But he forgets all about Joseph until one night Pharaoh has a dream. This dream so disturbs Pharaoh that he asks somebody to interpret his dream. Now the cupbearer who was with Joseph in the dungeon remembers that Joseph can actually interpret dreams. So he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Go find this man, you should find this man, and he will interpret your dream. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. If you want to follow along the Bible app, you can open that up. You can also go to the notes section of the chat, or you can just stay on the screen. We'll have the notes on the screen as well. Beginning in verse 14, it says this, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pilate. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one can tell me what it means but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Now, this is sort of an all-around bad answer, actually, because the first part is sort of bad, because usually you don't tell someone with the level of power that Pharaoh has that you can't do something, because that doesn't usually end well, right? The second part is kind of bad, because... Pharaoh thinks he's actually, like, semi-God, and Joseph has made quite a distinction, a significant distinction, between his God and Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh could have said a list, any list of a number of things back to Joseph. He could have said, like, you're not even from here, you're a Hebrew, and, like, your God led you to be in this dungeon for, like, two and a half years, and you think your God is stronger than our God's? You think your God can help you interpret my dream? But Pharaoh didn't respond that way. Maybe because he was so desperate to have his dream, interpreted. Continue on verse 17. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream, in my dream he said I was standing on the bank of the Nile River and I saw seven fat healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. But then I saw seven sick looking cows scrawny and thin coming up after them. I've never seen such sorry looking animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows but afterwards you wouldn't have known it for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up. Verse 22. In my dream I also saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. The seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Joseph responded, Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. That basically there are going to be seven years where you grow so much grain and you have cows that are so big that it's going to seem like you have so much wealth and so much abundance and it's just going to seem almost unbelievable. But then there's going to be followed by seven years where you don't have very much, very difficult years. And Pharaoh as a leader has sort of a unique but... But not exclusive look into the future. And I say not exclusive because I think most good leaders, while they can't predict the future, they can sort of see some things coming. In fact, I think most rational, logical people who sort of learn from history can see some things coming. For instance, prosperity doesn't last forever. In fact, nothing on this earth lasts forever, right? All nations, kingdoms, and empires eventually come to an end. And at this point, every leader sort of has a choice Are they going to spend some resources now to prepare for the future? Or are they going to ignore what they see in the future to enjoy the present? Continuing on. Now Pharaoh's going to hear what the future holds. Verse 29. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. Like, it's going to be so great, but then it's going to be so bad that nobody's going to remember the seven good years. Like Pharaoh, like it's going to be so bad that nobody's probably going to remember how good it was under your leadership. And now Joseph is sort of getting into the place where he's doing more than just interpreting dreams. He's sort of giving advice, and he basically says, here's what I think you should do. And again, at this point, Pharaoh has another choice. Is he going to use some resources and spend some resources now to prepare for the future? Or is he going to just ignore what he sees in the future to enjoy the present? Continuing on verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Now you should know at this point that Egypt probably had a, a, a grain tax of about 10%. Now we're not exactly sure if Joseph meant you should. Add 20% to that 10% totaling 30%, or if you should just raise the level from 10% up to 20%. But Joseph basically says as soon as the abundance begins, you need to start saving and storing grain. And at the time when people think about it the least, you need to start. And at the time when you are going to have so much, you need to be disciplined. At the time when there are so many opportunities, you need to be strategic. And at the time when you're tempted, um, to enjoy the present, you need to look to the future. And Pharaoh is probably thinking about those people that are paying the 10% that are not going to be paying more. Well, they probably don't like paying the 10%, so they're probably not going to like paying the 10 to 20% more on top of that. And so Pharaoh is thinking about those people. And they're not going to want to do that because in years of abundance, people, nations, leaders don't want to prepare for the future. They generally don't save for the future. We know we should, we know it makes sense on paper, but we don't, and usually it's because we're not disciplined. Continuing on verse 35. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land like Pharaoh this doesn't mean that you can go into the grain business like this is for reserves for later like Pharaoh this doesn't mean you can like start selling and trading this unless this is going to help us in the future that's what this is for to help us for the future and good leaders invest in the next generation or the next season or the next um, time period by preparing now so that there will even be a future that Pharaoh if you're going to lead your country through this crisis you're going to have to start thinking as if the future is now and make hard and necessary decisions. That you can't make decisions now based on what you see right now. You're going to have to make some difficult decisions as if the future is now, because in many ways, the future is right now. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. <clears throat> then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Like, talk about a promotion, right? Like, Joseph's only been out of the dungeon for about 20 minutes by this point, and Pharaoh's going like, to introduce him in this promotion, and he probably had to look over him and say, like, what was your name again? Like, <laughs> he had to get his name. And it would be so interesting to look at and, and hear the thoughts of the people who were in line for this promotion. But Pharaoh sees how massive of a job this is, and so he decides to put the best person on the job. He doesn't look to who he owes favors to or to his family or to his cabinet, who's the logical next person in line for this promotion. He looks to who the best person is. And the best person at this point seems to be Joseph because he's someone who can read the situation and help the nation make changes to deal with the crisis. And Joseph, uh, again, he can sort of interpret the situation in light of what the future seems to hold. And he has real quickly come up with a very wise plan for how to address the crisis. And yet, on so many levels, Joseph is an outsider to Egypt. He's just a slave from the dungeon. Like, there were so many reasons that Pharaoh should have chosen an insider for this massively important task. And yet, Pharaoh picks the person who he, who he thinks can see what is coming and can make the necessary changes. Continue on verse 46. He was 30 years old when he began serving Joseph in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. And Pharaoh didn't let personal prejudice, among many other things, blind his judgment and blind him from wise advice. We're continuing on in verse 47. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields and the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain, like sand on the seashore. And finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. And it's sort of easy to wonder what were the people thinking when they were gathering and saving all this grain? Like, isn't this just like storing air? Isn't this just like storing water from the Nile River? Like, what is this even all about? Why are we even doing all this? Don't we have more than we'll ever need? Continues on verse 53. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, "Go to eat, eat, or go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you." Like, isn't that amazing? That's kind of amazing that that Pharaoh would say that. Verse 56. So, with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land. Verse 57. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. That Egypt sort of became a central part of the world again to help the world. And why? Because Egypt made tough and wise decisions about the future. That they prepared in prosperous times for non-prosperous times. Now we aren't exactly sure, but it's possible that the seven years of prosperity were for the surrounding regions as well since the seven years of famine seemed to be included for everyone. Either way, the other nations were not prepared for what was happening with the famine. And maybe they weren't prepared because they didn't make the adjustments necessary with the obvious view that something was going to happen eventually, or maybe they had a leader who who traded what they needed in the future for what he wanted now. But whatever the reason is, these nations came to Egypt because Egypt made the tough decisions about the future, looking towards the future. Um, and really that was thanks to God showing them. So the Egyptians along with all the other surrounding regions are super thankful for Joseph and Pharaoh's actions. Uh, chapter 27, or 47 verse 25 says this, you, s- you have saved our lives, they exclaimed. May it please you, my Lord, to let us be Pharaoh's servants. Like you did the difficult thing to prepare us for what you knew was coming, and while we might not have liked that extra tax, Your actions saved our lives. Now there are some huge differences between a pharaoh and a U.S. president. I get that. Uh, Pharaohs weren't elected, pharaohs didn't have to work through congress, like they could just meet with themselves and make a decision, that's kind of it. But I think there are some principles to take from this story that can apply to us and our president in 2021. Um, Some of the more important ones, uh, number one, leaders need to do what's wise even if they lose public approval. Now we don't know for sure that Pharaoh lost public approval, but raising taxes that much probably lost some approval, right? Okay. Number two, when faced with a crisis, leaders do what is best for the people. Even if what's best for the people is the people don't like that thing. Or you don't do what's best for the leader, you do what's best for the people. And he wasn't trying to please, and Joseph wasn't trying to please everyone in the moment, but he was trying to help lead the people into the future. And leaders lead with the future in mind, and leaders don't assume never-ending prosperity. And here are a few more bipartisan jabs from this story of Pharaoh and Joseph. Pharaoh and Joseph taxed and saved. Taxed and saved. They didn't tax and spend. They didn't tax less and spend more. They taxed and they saved. Okay? He created a way, or Joseph and Pharaoh created a way, for everyone to eat but also for everyone to contribute. You have to kind of go back and read a little bit more of that story for that part. Um, he was also Pharaoh was also responsible to his nation and he helped surrounding nations in their time of need. Both. He did both those things. He didn't let Pharaoh didn't let personal prejudice blind him from wisdom. Because the Egyptians, again, they had no respect for the Hebrews, which was what Joseph was. The Hebrews were just herdsmen and, and the Egyptians were farmers, and obviously Pharaoh was a royalty in that nation. They had no reason to, to respect to respect Joseph, but leaders don't let personal prejudice blind them from wisdom. And I ask you, wouldn't it be refreshing to have a candidate come and not blame previous administration, pre- previous administrations for current problems? Like, wouldn't it be kind of amazing to have a leader step up and say, "We have issues in this nation, but they are our issues and they are our own fault, not the previous president, not the previous Congress." Like. This is our fault as Americans, and we own these problems because we are harvesting what we have grown as a nation and what we have grown individually. And there is a way out, but you might not like it. So come and vote for me. Like, wouldn't that be kind of amazing? But wouldn't you vote for a person like that? And I don't ask if that person exists, because that would be kind of an interesting question to consider. But would you even vote for that person? And I'm a little bit skeptical, because what if that person existed? but they were from the other party. Like, would you vote for that person if they were from the opposite party? Because number three, leaders don't let personal prejudice blind them from wisdom. That being said, the chat that I think I would have with the president from this story actually is a little bit different. Leaders refuse to trade what we need in the future for what we want now. And what many of us want right now is comfort, security, continued prosperity, and those things aren't even necessarily bad. But right now, comfort is not available, it's only available, rather, to certain people based on investment accounts, based on skin color, based on education status, and on and on. And then looking at security and continued prosperity, the way that we know those things today will come at a cost in the future of the environment, of underpaid workers, of massive national and individual debt, and possibly those things will come at the expense of helping other countries in their time of need. Then I wonder if we, along you know, as individuals and as a nation, like the Egyptians, need to make some difficult decisions regarding the future. And there are gonna be some uncomfortable adjustments, but if we're willing to do that, we can prepare for the future, But we might need a leader who helps us with that. But those adjustments aren't going to be saving grain. That's not going to be what our adjustments are. Maybe our adjustments are looking to God for identity rather than looking to a political party or rather than looking to culture to tell us what our identity is. Maybe our adjustments are looking at our resources to see if we are actually being generous or maybe we're just being selfish. And then remove the anchor clause from that statement. We need to make racial justice a priority in our country. Because leaders refuse to trade what we need in the future for what we want now. That this is the type of leader I think we need in the president for 2021, but this is also the type of leader we need in our homes, in our businesses, our work groups, our teams, our schools, and yes, even in our nation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... um, These stories. Thank you for the story of Joseph. That's sort of an interesting story, and yet we see so many parallels to our modern life. God, would you please help us as um, people to maybe have a glimpse into the future like Joseph, that we could understand what the future might hold and what we might need to change and the adjustments that we might need to make in our own lives and the adjustments we need to make in our country. That God, we would be willing to look to the future and see what we need and make the hard decisions now. And that would be for us individually, but that would also be for our nation. And God, for this election cycle, and um, it just seems like everything is getting so ramped up and things are getting going, and some of us really don't like that, and others of us sort of enjoy this time. But whatever the case is, would you help all of us to know how we should vote? Would you help us to have some sort of sense of wisdom from you that's bigger than just our own way of seeing the world and the current reality? But God, like Joseph, would you give, him a, would you give all of us a glimpse into the future, that we could see what you would want us to do. And God, would you help us to love each other? If we disagree about this, if we don't always align exactly, or if we don't align at all, would you help us to remember the most important command that you shared with us? To love you by how we love one another, and that we would love one another the way that you have loved us unconditionally and at a cost. So God, would you help us to live this out? Would you help us to have leaders who refuse to trade what we need in the future for what we need now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.